0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Sink or Swim podcast. This is episode three. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. On today's episode, we are gonna be talking all about research. Research. Research is something that scared students like me. I know that scares a lot of students because it's so nebulous and intimidating until you get involved in it. So to kind of break down the walls, we've brought a very special guest with us this week.
1: We've brought the man, the myth, the legend. You all know who he is. It's Dr. Bachman. Dr. Bachman, hello, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. Thank (laughs) you for
1: being here. I think it's important that you're here because I think you are a bit of a mystery to a lot of students am i oh for like, sure right Mitch? a bit
0: of a legend i really? would say well for okay so for us when you were you were the first course director we had I, yes you were yeah. in technically you had p.i one. though well you had professional immersion nobody two weeks
1: remembers that sorry dr griffin oh, p.i right. was
0: <laughs> p.i was definitely helpful and it was definitely our first block but fundamentals was the first challenging it felt like the beginning of medical school to mm-hmm. me and i'm pretty sure everyone
2: that's fair. Yeah. It
0: was you know micro immunology anatomy the the tough stuff right off the beginning and you were the you were the head of that so uh, you were the first authority figure I think a lot of us had academically
1: Yeah you set the tone for what to expect in medical school for everybody in our class and the three classes after that and I think it went well. I think it went well well I mean it wasn't without its challenges right We can all admit that
0: I, that, <laughs> I mean <laughs>
2: that's fair yes I think. Uh, it was challenging uh, probably for both sides. That's
1: I was just, just about like to say that. that for as challenging as it was for us and as challenging as challenging as it's going to be for any med student, it had to have been extremely difficult for you all because brand new med school.
0: Yeah. And sure. just the quick recap, because we talked about it before, probably twice now. Fundamentals was the first block of learning we did uh, as a charter class where we went through the basic sciences, mostly uh, biochemistry, anatomy, micro, farm, uh, really heavy hitter. Immunology.
1: Immunology. Yeah. yeah. Very Genetics, tough stuff. Um,
0: very tough stuff for a new medical student. Some
1: pharmacology, like pharmacokinetics and mm-hmm. stuff like that.
0: And Dr. Bachman was the head of it, essentially. so He's the
1: course director. Tell us what you do as a course director.
2: So, course director is essentially the architect of the course. Uh, so, manages a lot of the background things. So, making sure every all the lectures have like their objectives in order that everything aligns together as much as possible it's meeting the standards for the curriculum as a whole and that it somehow will connect down the road to the systems classes that you have so we do have a systems-based uh, curriculum so not every if people are tuning in from other schools not every school is going to have that most are moving towards that but Who knows with step being pass fail now that it might be a a shift away from that for down the road, I don't know. Uh, But yes, uh, the, the goal with fundamentals was to give the basic sciences, right? So I think there's about 13 core basic science topics. They would have all been graduate level courses individually but they're all in 12 weeks.
1: So how do you know? I mean, I imagine there's some sort of master document provided by the the overlords of med schools, mm-hmm. um, not just ours, but every med school. How do you know what to do? I mean, this is a brand new med school. You're starting it from scratch, this course. How do you know what to cover?
2: It, it can be uh, challenging. Uh, so, that yes, you're right. There is a master sheet. Uh, USMLE has specific... Uh, has its own mapping system. So you can look at that. You can look at the basic sciences and you can say, oh, this is what is going to be on the step one. Uh, So these are going to be the essentials, at least going forward. Obviously, all everything is for applying. But these are the things that you're probably going to see assessed. That sounds perfect, but I don't know if you looked at the USMLE objectives and how they map, Uh, but you get ones that are like cell biology. And that is one of the objectives. USMLE, if you thought your course, your assessment objectives were vague, they're even mm-hmm. vaguer for USMLE. So that's your
1: one of your your objectives, just cell biology. That's yeah.
0: it. So I guess from your perspective, because I've seen the PDF, I, I'm pretty sure the same one you're talking about, where it's basically every topic that can be on the USMLE. So mm-hmm. from my perspective as a student, it, I guess it's kind of similar to you. When you see something like cell biology, we are like, well, all right, that's pretty, <laughs> <What> <laughs> not, would? I mean, vague, but just all-encompassing. Like there's yes. a lot of stuff about, there's a whole class in undergrad or multiple classes on cell biology. So how can you summarize that into one little topic? It's, uh, it's
2: challenging. I think historically, not at our school, a lot of uh, professors would essentially just teach whatever was their favorite topic, and they would okay. do that. Um, and I think there has been a – and again, I'm, I'm speaking anecdotally. I don't know if that's how it, had, it really was back in the day or not. Uh, but I definitely observed that from other schools I had been at. So this wasn't the first school that I had been participating in curriculum before. I was never in this leadership role, but I I was very familiar with how courses ran and the background material. Um, And so I did bring some of that into this. Uh, I think as far as knowing what should be covered intentionally, uh, some of that comes similar to what you have talked about previously is practice questions a lot. So we have access to and I think in this regard is a really useful tool, uh, retired test questions from the step. Uh, so we can look at those and uh, it's very secretive. We're not allowed to talk about in detail with those. We can't show you those, that material at all, uh, but we can look at it in the back end. And you know, there is a breakdown for those UMS you know, only topics. So it's not just cell biology, there's subfields of that as well, but even those are very broad. Um, so it, looking at these like, retired questions, the more you look at them, the more you like, like try to see, okay, w- what maps to these objectives? The more you get a good sense of like what they actually mean by those objectives, and it gives you a better ability as a course director to kind of hone that for any of the faculty that are giving those lectures. It's like, while you might in really enjoy topic X, they really go more into topic Y, so maybe loosely cover this topic and go into topic Y. Um, it gets challenging, though, with, uh, fundamentals of basic sciences because you n- need to know all the, the ground material to be able to apply the more complicated material that you're probably going to get assessed on. Um, so that is probably one of the more challenging ones I think to get in a nice neat bow but we try. So.
1: And that was one of the that was one of the challenges that you all worked through though I think from our experiences the charter class through to the following years everything became much more I guess consistent working with different lecturers and getting everybody on the same page, I imagine that was difficult.
2: It it was. I mean, it's a a startup. So Mm -hmm. it's brand new. Uh, We were trying to get everyone acclimated. When you're going into something like I previously uh, was a postdoc at WashU, um, when you go into a system that's existed for over 100 years, don't quote me on the the actual time it's existed, um, you know it's established, so it, something has already come before, and while that's m- modified significantly since its origin, there's always something that is you can grow from. So coming in really from scratch and kind of asking for a different system that most I think the faculty weren't used to because it was they're used to teaching in other programs and uh, that weren't necessarily the medical school, it's challenging. So it, it did take a lot of practice um, reassessing what the topic, the material was. Well, we got there. I think it's improved. I never think that fundamentals or any course is ever going to be perfect. It's always something that has to get reassessed every year. Right. It's going to evolve every year. I mean, when we all were in the first pre-clerkship year, COVID was not an element to talk about, but yeah. it will certainly be one, especially in CPR. There's court, There's sessions on COVID now. Um, wow. So, That's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: I would say we got through it, though. We got through the sure. fundamentals part. And then one more thing. This reminded me, because I heard you talking. Um, the whole idea is our charter class was supposed to be a class of trailblazers. <laughs> um, I, I think maybe we are. I, I, I don't know. Um, but you yourself, also, a trailblazer. Um, I'm going to say the obvious. You're very young. <laughs> um, yes, very much. Uh, I saw you at my interview day, and I thought you were one of my fellow interviewees. Um, but you were actually one, the assessor for our mock PBL. And I remember looking at you and going, hey, dude, what's up? I didn't see you earlier. In the
2: I remember this, actually, yeah. yeah. And I was
1: like, oh, that guy seems cool. Um, and then when you when you introduced yourself, I was like, oh, no. But there
0: you are. <laughs> I messed up. Yeah, I
1: messed up. So tell us about, like, your path. You're kind of in a lifelong academic person yeah,
0: I, I think i wanted to ask that too because the the extent of what i know about you unfortunately is that you're the course director and you, now you have other roles at nsumd and unfortunately that's kind of the the end of it so yeah i'd love to hear more about your background how you came to be here um and all of that all right like start um, off
1: where did you grow up
0: where did
2: i grow up yeah um, i mean i was born in the dc area uh my that parents makes a lot uh, of sense why? You wear nice suits. I wear nice suits. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't wear suits until this job, actually. Oh, well, so, so I was jeans, T-shirt kind of It was, it it of was thing. within you to it know was what a, suit to pick. Awakening kind Yeah, of thing. Okay. it happened. All right. Uh, in either case, I was born in the D.C. area. My uh, parents uh, had me rather late in life. So by the time I was two, they he my dad retired. My mom was already uh, around that as well. So they moved down to Florida because that's what you do when you retire. Um she didn't like the water, so they settled on Orlando, which uh-huh. at the time wasn't all that interesting. Which I know, is
1: where Mitch grew
0: up. Which is why I'm not all that interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that. No, but, I know, I know. Like, yeah. Also from uh, Orlando, though. It's grown a lot since the uh, 80s and 90s, so uh, it's different. But yeah, it was a, a rather small at that point, a very focused on touristy stuff, So and retirement villages, which is what I grew up in, was a, essentially a retirement village, so... Uh, I don't know if that speaks to how well I can do in academia, but I'm used to being surrounded by people older than me. Older people. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. And do you have any siblings?
2: I do. I have an older sister. Okay. Uh, she is uh, 10 years older than me. No. Okay. So, again. This a-
1: really gives insight to your level of maturity. Oh, in yeah? My y- yes. Because yeah. um, you are younger than me, but, like, decades more mature, more mature okay. than I. Um Okay. And then so you grew up in the retirement villages yep. and then what you went to where'd you go to undergrad
2: I went to UF I got okay. a degree in zoology it wasn't intentional I originally went there I wanted to be a bioengineer uh, cool. so I did that I was for some reason very focused though maybe you can relate uh, wanting to get done at a certain amount of time right Whatever, somehow the the, the clock seems to be ticking for whatever. So I wanted to be done with an engineering degree that they said would be five years and four years. So I took 18 credit loads just to get done with everything. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it was a lot. Uh, but as I was going through that and I started hitting my bioengineering required you to do all the bio, the sciences up front, and then you would do the engineering classes. So about a year and a half in, I was switching to the engineering ones. And at that time, bioengineering had not really come into its own. It was, especially at UF, it was merged with the Agricultural Engineering Department. So it was mostly agricultural courses that were available. And the only bio ones were on plastics. So Hmm. I got the sense that if I was doing this, I would end up being a, uh, basically making catheters uh, for a living. And I didn't want to do that. So I left, I switched the major and I when I went there, I started. I was already working. I didn't, I worked all through high school and the like and Publix, but I had less. Hold idea. on,
1: hold on, hold. Yes, hold on. You worked at Publix? I worked at
2: Publix, yes.
1: What'd you do there? Did you make cakes? I imagine you made the cakes in the bakery. I Did you make the jumped cakes?
2: around in rolls I when I started, they I don't know if they still do, but they hired at 14 at the time I was doing it. I was a bagger. I then went into working in produce uh, for a while because that was. Honestly, one of the easier ones. Like, uh-huh. you just, once it's all up, you don't have to do too much else and just hang out the rest of the day. It's kind of nice. Um, just have to make the fruit look organized, right? So it was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I feel like that's a good quote. Yeah, just, yeah.
2: That's all you have to do. You just got to make the fruit look organized. So,
1: question can you say something for me? Sure. Do you need help to your car with this?
2: Do you need <laughs> help with your car to this? <laughs> I always particularly didn't like. I don't. Oh, I hope that. Uh, well, I don't. I won't get in trouble. I don't work for them anymore. But I didn't like that they th- would speci- specifically tell like baggers. Oh, you you can't accept tips. You have to deny tips. Oh. And I I distinctly remember because most of the time they would never do it anyway. But one person uh, accepting. Uh, Giving me a $50 tip. And I was like, I'm not saying no to that. So I just, took, but the, I got wrote, written up because they saw that. Oh, and I was like, man. I don't, it, $50 is like, 50 my, bucks like is $50. 2 bucks. days yeah. of salary. So yeah. I'm, and look at, look at you
1: now. Look at you now. Oh,
2: look at me now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Look at you now. You don't need that public's job.
2: No, I probably do. But it's like, <laughs> 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 it made no, you who you like, were. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I did that, I but when I went into college, I wanted to work in a lab because I thought that sounded cool. So, why not? I, I work in a lab. Um, the only lab that would hire me because I wanted to get some sort of pay was uh, a horseshoe crab lab. So, I did that. It was a parental, uh, they were, they're were polyanders, in the species, so they're multiple males, one female. So, it was a lot of collecting samples, collecting eggs, and doing uh, genetic tests on them. So, it, it was basically the... I was doing the who's the daddy for all the, right. it, that oh, was cool. my job. You
1: were the Maury Povich. I was the
2: Maury Povich yes. of uh, horseshoe crabs, yeah. Fun. Um, so I did that during my time there and at the same point I was switching into thinking about doing just a bio major. I They basically said in the lab well why don't you just uh, switch to zoology because then you can get like credits for working in the lab. So instead of getting paid I'm essentially paying them to be in the lab. I think you mm. can commiserate with the whole like Yeah, yeah. Working in as a physician um, or future physician, so yeah, I did that. And uh, what they don't tell you, I guess uh, UF was really big on this, is that they don't really want to keep you around if you have a scholarship because they want you to graduate. Especially things like the Bright Future Scholarship, which was great. I went there on that. It was if you're a Florida resident, it essentially gives you used to give you a full ride. I think it's a little more strict now than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So they essentially looked at my uh, transcripts and said you are pretty much done with everything you need to graduate next semester and i was like okay cool i don't know what i'm going to do with my life so i said why not grad school and i did that um so i applied to grad school and went there
1: and you ended up at usf
2: technically usf the program i was at um funny enough it was actually a a brand new program in itself. Uh, it was oh. Moffat had a cancer biology program they were starting. When I joined, I believe I was the fourth class. Wow. So they were about to get it. They were going through a, a credit. It wasn't really a, a rigorous accreditation like this because we were part of the medical school. So it was the MD program there and our little graduate program. So we got to use all the facilities that the MD school got, which
1: Very nice. they didn't really
2: like. But there was only six of us every year. So, you know, whatever.
1: And so what did you what did you study?
2: Uh, in grad school? Mm-hmm. Uh, oncology was the degree I got. So, uh, oh, cool.
0: And yeah, yeah. was this a master's program or a PhD? PhD? Yeah, okay. a PhD. I didn't, oh, yeah, he's Dr. Bachman. I know, but <laughs> I didn't know if he had a master's. <laughs> I, the, I know he's Dr. Bachman. I just didn't know if it was like a master's and then you went on to a PhD or it so was a PhD program.
2: I have no problem with like master's in general, but at the time when I, I, I thought about that, was, I didn't have any debt graduating from undergrad and I really didn't want a debt in grad school. So right. I thought, hey, why do a master's if I'm gonna go down this route anyway and do a PhD where they essentially give you a cost of living, you know, not a lot above cost of living, but enough. And you didn't have to pay for anything. So Makes sense. It, it seemed like a good route to go. So
1: doctor for free kind of versus we're doctors for the cost of a house.
0: A nice house.
1: Depends where you live. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And then you did your postdoc at Wash U, I which did. everybody knows that place. I I assume so. Super hoity toity in the world of research.
2: It is, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, um yeah.
1: And now here you are. Mm-hmm. Wow. Quite a trailblazer. Sure. So sure. When you were doing your postdoc, mm-hmm. I imagine, how does that compare to being in a med school and working from the administration side?
2: very different uh, so w- as a postdoc it is a job so like i was essentially i don't know it's the first step towards a, maybe a faculty position but at washu everything is is focused on research uh, there and that's not to say we don't have a research initiative or anything uh, but i mean it was a machine so it was, it was one, any of those top 30 schools in the u.s uh You probably, if you don't have an R01, then you're probably no longer employed there.
1: An R01? R01
2: is a very nice grant you can get from the NIH. They are going to be in the million dollar range uh, uh, for funding, uh, usually higher. Um, So million is probably an old number because of inflation and all that, but it's the, essentially for an individual researcher, it's the best grant you can get. It's very competitive. Um, the only thing that would be more is if you had an interdisciplinary grant, like it's, which is a U grant. Um, and think of like U as United or something, like whatever you want. And that can be a lot more money because you're talking about maybe funding infrastructure as well. Um, but as far as an individual person engaging their own research, uh, RO1 is the best situation you can get. And my uh, PI, for example, by the time I left, had three of them. Um, so she had a lot of different research avenues. Um, And it kind of just continuously builds on itself. I think what's not appreciated in research as far as like, oh, why can't you just go out and get one of those is that the infrastructure really matters. The things that they have that it's hard to go back from when you want to engage in research is uh, they had essentially if you wanted to buy like lab equipment or anything, like if you want a reagent or an SRNA to knock out something, you usually have to order that from a company. It'll take like a week or so to get here if you're in a reasonable area. They had a, a, essentially like a floor of one of the buildings, because Wash U is essentially half the downtown area of St. Louis, um, that was just like a Walmart for purchasing items. And they would intentionally have all the supplies there, and they'd get a discount. So like you'd still be paying for it, but it'd be much cheaper, and you'd get it the same day.
1: So you could get a grocery cart and go shopping. Get a
2: grocery cart, go shopping. And
1: they have the Fisher rats there, too.
2: They, f- Fisher what? Rats? Racks? Rats. Rats.
1: Yeah. Fisher the white rats that I are don't genetically cells
2: rats uh, i thought
1: no they they're, they're called fisher rats they're not Made by the the Fisher brand. Oh,
2: I mean, I never worked with the white mice. I always did the the Black Six mice with that because oh. that was. did you usually... pick
1: up some Black Six mice at the at the groceries? <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> you could. Uh, the research. Typically, uh, so at that place, no, they wouldn't sell the the, the mice because the mice have to be in a special facility yeah. and uh, sterile and all that. But they're they had a pretty nice process for bringing in mice, and you can get them pretty readily. So you can get them probably within a week. Um, they also had elements, uh, I'm just so many different elements. I can't even think of them. uh, they had someone that was like a, a grant editor, uh, that was expert in how to apply and how to like get grants. Uh, that was just for our department, which consisted of only four PIs and that person's entire job was just looking at grants, editing and improving kind of thing. Um, and I could go on with things that like.
1: So, th- yeah, because Mitch's eyes are glazing over. No, 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 <laughs> no. I, th- I think. <laughs> how do you get from there to med school, though? Like, how do you get from there oh. to being a teacher to being. Okay, to- so um,
2: about 80% technically of my time uh, at WashU was doing research. Um, about 20% would have been doing some sort of teaching activity. So I did help with a lot of the medical school activities there. Um, sometimes I got away with uh, just mentoring students in the lab. So we would always get medical students coming in. We were, we had a lot of different wings. We, but we were a women's health department, uh, infectious diseases. So UTIs was our, our bread and butter. Uh, so it was a big urology element to it. So we collaborated. My my mentor directly was a PhD, but we had a MD that we would basically get all the bio samples we would want from, and he would be on our projects as well. But we'd always get. Got an email. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, we would always get, uh, you know, medical students that would do take a year off or do a summer rotation, and it would be in urology. And every one of them, uh, at least, said on paper that they were wanted to go to Wash U for the residency. And they, but they needed more research experience. They would do that, except for the ones that decided to go to like. There was one that went to Stanford or something like that. Every other one ended up matching. Uh, At WashU after doing the rotation, because part of it's not just doing the research, but you're seeing the physician that is part of the like, I don't know if he was the program coordinator, but he definitely knew the program coordinator uh, for matching. And you just got to know everybody because you were there every day. And that really helps a lot um and then you got a few publications even out of it because with urine obviously you do some cytology stainings and obviously yeah yeah Um, well you know it's 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 fairly easy to collect urine it's you spin it it down you look if there's neutrophils or whatever macrophages if it's a uti depending on whatever you were interested in is it higher amounts is it lower amounts that's a very small little paper that
0: could get out
1: mitch did a uti paper
0: uh, almost it I didn't oh you actually not did not do it. that no okay I, I do think this is a really good transition point because obviously you have a really impressive background you're very experienced in research then you have someone like me <laughs> who's not experienced in research at least prior to medical school I have very minimal amounts of research experience now just as a medical student but for people like me that came into medical school you're a first year student like I know a lot of people do have research but most of the people I know in medical school like my classmates and even under me that have pretty you know impressive research uh, CVs they were already involved pretty heavily in research even in undergrad um, and I was not so for a medical student who's come in and they're kind of wondering could you give kind of a introductory level definition or or an explanation of what do we mean by research? I know there's like papers and, but it's a very broad topic. So like, how would you define research for a medical student who's trying to learn about it? All
2: right. I'm going to write this down because I know I'm going to go off tangent. So I want to make sure I get back to your questions. Tangents are welcome. We love (laughs) tangents. I want to just address the first part because you're saying, uh, there's a lot of medical students that come in that have no experience. And even then, I know there's a certain degree of flexing when it comes to like, oh, this is what I've done before and all that.
0: And I do I do just want to point that out because I felt like I was one of the only medical students that just hadn't done research or like I was just left out of the loop. I was like, what is what is research? Like, what are these people? How are you even getting involved in projects? Who's running these projects? So, And honestly,
2: I, I think the acceptance, I understand that you don't know what that is, is a good place to be because I, I think sometimes it, Those that have done research in the past can kind of get into this roadblock idea that I know what I need to do, and I know what research is. And this is an anecdote. I'm not saying is anyone here. Anecdotes are also very welcome. In uh, in graduate school, I mentored tons of medical students that are pre-medical students. Sorry, so pre-med students that were aspiring to be medical students and they needed research to get into this. At that point, that was my first exposure with that was a box to check i guess um but my mentor at that time wasn't very keen unless they really showed a a dedicated interest on letting them do actual activities. so what it boiled down to what they did was essentially just clean dishes like for thousands of hours and she'll she signed off and she would say yes you did you were here for a thousand hours and they absolutely put that on their CV, and they put it on their application, and it said they were there for a thousand hours. They were, but they didn't do
0: any research. So the 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 uh, I guess Amcas or acoms whatever would basically just say, you know, I was involved in research at this lab for X amount of hours, and it's very nebulous. Yeah, exactly. you would sounds say, good. I'm in a yes. fish
1: lab and they're maybe doing some dna editing in the fish lab but really you're just washing all the (laughs) erlenmeyer flasks or something
2: or cleaning the fish tanks because those are awful but uh, yeah um i would say i what i look for usually with that um is okay you hit a certain amount of hours so you were physically present for at least two months that would be nice to see beyond that i don't you were there for 300 hours you were there for two uh, thousand hours It's all the same to me, unless I can see that you were presenting something at a conference or you have a paper. And particularly if you have a paper that you're a first author or a second author on, because there are some labs that will just throw everybody in that lab on the the paper. And it's like, if you're eighth down the line of uh, 20 or something, yeah, what did you do? Maybe you read the paper and you gave like feedback on it. It doesn't mean that you didn't do stuff, I just don't have the confidence that for sure that you did, you know? um so i
1: I feel like getting on a paper at the undergraduate level Mm -hmm. is very difficult
2: it's it can be depending
1: where you're at and what you're doing i i I, you know my research project was putting teeth in liquid nitrogen and then busting them open with a hammer and separating the pieces yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's we didn't write a paper Obviously.
2: (laughs) A lot of stuff doesn't always get to paper level. Um, I assume there was more than just busting the teeth.
1: No, no. And then we would would, uh, liquefy them and then put them in mass spectrometry.
2: Okay. And you're looking for... Or
1: we would compare the uh, carious teeth, which is, uh, you know... shoot what's that thing a cavity (laughs) teeth with cavities we call them carious teeth with regular you know normal teeth and we would check the protein structures uh, between the two of them um i did present that at the american chemical society conference so i am better than you mitch
0: (laughs) So i'm a pretty big deal
1: yeah i'm kind of a big (laughs) deal because of that
0: uh hey I'm,
2: i'm but you did something though so you did yes. something you thought I about the project. I also
1: collected city river water in Denver and checked for bacteroides okay. um, to see who was pooping in the water.
2: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: The city of Denver used that data. Interesting. To okay. see when the different blooms of poop would show up in the water.
0: Cool. Spoiler
1: alert, summertime. That makes sense. Good yes. time to poop in the river.
0: Do some contact tracing of the river.
1: Yeah, we did mm. like seasonal poop changes in the water. Oh my gosh. So that's this. I say that to say uh, that you do not need to have medical research. No. To be involved in the research process to have it on your application and look fine.
2: And it, it can be pretty challenging to get like clinical research projects. Even in a, as a medical student, it can be very difficult. Um, and I mean, we can go into like, I think you want to talk about later the nuances of the types of research. But like, back to your question what is research? It just boils down to having a question and applying that in, through the scientific method. Uh, I'm sure you've learned scientific method in elementary school, repeated it over and over. as all research is, is the scientific method. It's just applying it over and over until you have some outcome that seems consistent, hopefully consistent, that you can put down on paper uh, and traditionally is novel. Um, I think that there are issues with that concept. I do think reproduction of data is a good idea. Uh, it's weird that you'd have to say that, but it, uh, it is pretty challenging to get a, a Me Too paper out of something, um, as in, like, I I know this person's done this, but I just did it, and it showed the same thing.
0: Isn't that part of the scientific method? It's it, just, it is. It just needs to be reproducible across time?
2: Which makes it problematic when literature doesn't really support that kind of concept. is um, it... Yeah.
0: No, is it... Is
2: it a funding issue? Um, it's a, I think it's it maybe somewhat of a funding issue. I think it's also just that the journals themselves are a business and they, it costs a lot of money to get in those paper journals. So I think it's all about what is interesting, what is novel, what's getting cited. And uh, for you as a researcher too, a lot of your clout depends on you being cited as well. Um, so if you're just doing a follow follow-up paper to somebody else and it's exactly the same thing, you're not going to get cited. They're going to get cited in um, best practice. Now, one caveat to that, and it doesn't always make the light of day, and, uh, is that uh, if you work in the same field, so I, work, I worked in cancer, I worked in uh, infectious disease, but my main bread and butter was iron biology. Uh, so if you stay in the same field, it's a rather niche group. So um, all the assays that you do are going to be pretty much the same assays over and over once you get used to it um at least in like the wet any well any any field but i was mostly a cell bio a wet lab kind of uh, person and i did some in vitro stuff as, or in vivo stuff as well um but like those projects um you sort of end up doing the reproduction of those projects by simply doing your own project because you have to like do that Uh, step to move to the next step which is whatever your question is so in a way you can behind the scenes know that what they did is on the level um and in some ways too if say like i discover a mechanism and then someone wanted to know a next step of that mechanism or the influence of that mechanism on uh this kind of tissue well they would have to see that the mechanism actually exists for that to even be a thing so it's sometimes refreshing to see like um Like I had one paper where I talked about a cell signaling process that I was working on and someone else came out with something similar. It was different, but they inadvertently showed in like one of their figures that the same thing I was doing. So it was nice to say, oh, another lab across the country did the same thing as me for this one experiment. Makes me feel like I'm on the level um, in some sense. So that part doesn't really get to the public all, all too often. But if you are as an expert, you should be cognizant of that.
1: Is there collaboration in terms, or does it get sort of nasty, or do people, is the idea, because I imagine imagine that scientists are affable, caring people Mm. who want to share everything with the world, their methods, how they did things, be very clear, very transparent, so we can all reproduce everything together Mm. and advance human, you know, knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. but I imagine as humans are terrible anyways, once they get into groups, maybe they're not. I don't know, what's your experience from that? Or, or
2: I've seen both ends. Uh, so I've seen kind of uh, toxic activities with that uh, where it's like people take advantage of things or maybe they're stealing or trying to poach. I remember my first conference I went to was a rather large conference. It was a cancer conference at AARC. Um, I had a, a colleague I was a graduate student as, as well and she had worked prior getting into grad school. So she was basically continuing her project. She was presenting on this drug. It was a a kinase inhibitor for melanoma at the conference. It was getting a lot of traction. And I remember being off to the side and seeing someone quickly leave, get on their cell phone and be like, don't worry, we are ahead of them. So we can just publish now and we'll scoop them. And I, it was a weird thing to have to break to a Sounds like a movie. Yeah, Yeah, it it was bizarre. It, yeah, it's like oh, I actually have like something scandalous to tell somebody. That's amazing. Submit the paper. Yeah, like it was. But clearly, he was tasked to go to that post, that that poster, look at it to see how close they were and if they could beat them to the punch. So that happens a lot, especially with drug uh, discovery uh, projects. But. I mean, it, but on the flip side, though, with iron biology, it was—it's a very small field. I'd say there's maybe twenty senior PIs in it, and they're all very lovely individuals. Like we get together, there's like a yearly conference of like. I went to that conference. You did go to the conference I, when I hosted yes, it here. Yes. They are very open. Like very um,
1: nice people, Mitch. You should have gone.
2: You'll probably—he will probably never listen to this—but Dr. Tomas Gons, uh, he is a works at UCLA. He is a MD hematologist, and he he discovered hepcidin. So, wow. oh, like, wow. the mechanism action for it, I don't think he discovered hepcidin per se, because it was originally thought to just be antimicrobial, but he discovered the iron rel- element of it and how it, it associates with that. That's pretty important. Um, and, if I discovered
1: yeah. hepcidin, that's how I would introduce myself to everybody.
0: I'm the discoverer of hepcidin. I'm
1: Samantha. I discovered hepcidin.
0: Just make your middle name Hepsidin. Yeah, cool. Samantha
1: Hepcidin.
2: You could do <laughs> that. You could do that. Um, or not. But anyway. Did he name it <laughs> hepcidin? No, it was already pre- previously named because that was why it was hepside is it's found in the liver and it's also antimicrobial. So, right. so it had nothing to do with iron when it was known. He found that it, the, the whole role it plays is re- regulating iron. Right. So it wasn't known up until that point because it, it's a very small peptide hormone. It's very hard to like regulate in vitro. Um, but he found that he he his lab developed a mouse model for the knockout of it, and it was, for a while it was the only one. I just. Asked him in a conference, "Hey, can I have that mouse?" And He's like, "Yeah, sure, you can have it." And he just sent it. Like, and I had them for my projects. It was he was very supportive of anything, mm-hmm. always good about uh, asking questions, um, and he's you know the guru of iron. I would say so. It, it was nice to have people in the field, and everyone was like that, like uh, in that field. So
1: quiz I, time, Mitch. Yeah. Do you know what hepsiden is?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I do. Okay, I literally just said it, but yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mitch. Real quick, what's hepcidin? Oh
0: my god, it. I was just thinking about this. I was like, oh my god, do I know what hepcidin is? No, it, it <laughs> regulates the iron transporter in the intestines. It, so it,
2: it. it's it's actually ubiquitous, but yeah, intestines absolutely, liver definitely. Mm-hmm. So it, it it interacts with ferroportin. So that's the mm-hmm. iron export for the cell.
0: It decreases the expression of ferroportin, right? It
2: decrease so it causes it to internalize and degrade essentially. So then it can't. It's pretty much the only one that can get rid of iron as a mechanism. So your cells are just going to hold on to it. If you are an intestinal cell, that means you can't import any inside the body. It's just going to stay in that. It gets left off probably. If you're a a liver cell, it's just going to get stored. And they're fairly good at doing that until you get, you know, the liver failure. It's part
0: of uh, what makes hemochromatosis a thing. It is. We're like almost doctors, dude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I imagine you're on IM rounds asking these questions. Making them M3 sweat. Mm-hmm. I don't know that's what it for is. sure
0: what I, I want don't to know do. Know what
1: it no. Is. Right. What else do we got for Doc Bach? Yeah. All right. Oh, so sorry, I called you Doc Bach. That's fine. That's fine.
0: It's a very. Uh,
1: it's a. Isn't it? It kind of rolls off the tongue. It's
0: endearing. It's all right. You, it's have, to you have to earn Dr. it. It's endearing. Doctor Yeah, you have to earn it. <laughs> yeah. Don't go. Don't go calling Doctor Bachman Doc Bach. Yeah. You're not, you're not allowed to. Permission. Whoever's listening
1: to this, um, he is Doctor Bachman, a learned doctor.
0: I mean, maybe what we can talk about, if you want to pull up that chart, um, so. You know from a medical student's perspective all this is is great and like there's obviously so much that goes into the world of research but at in the really nitty-gritty level you're going to be getting involved in some sort of project at some sort of level and like that level like we've kind of talked about can vary from washing dishes <laughs> at the very <laughs> low level to you know really carrying the project on your back being a first author doing the all the hard work so um one thing that a lot of medical students stress about is how many publications am I gonna get? Hmm. Like I really yeah. need to get publications, publications. Like that's the end all be all when there's a lot more opportunities or there's a lot more um. Things this you is can important
1: do. because I think a lot of M2s who have just taken their step one are now misguided and think, Well shoot, since you know, step one's past fail, now I gotta bolster my research to stand out. And that might be true. It might not. But it might be true. Um, We still have step two. Um, But how does a med student, imagine Mitch. Mitch comes into med school. He doesn't have any research. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't even know what he likes. And what I find with a lot of med students, it's either one or the other. You do nothing or you're doing everything. And
0: I think it's really easy to do nothing because you're like how I was and you you barely know what it entails, which we just talked about. Uh, much less how to get involved in a project and meaningfully contribute to a project, uh, which could result in, like, you being able to put it on your application.
1: Mm-hmm. So what do we do? We come to your office. We go, oh, Dr. Buckman, please, I need help. <laughs> I don't have any research projects. What do I do? Where do I start?
2: Be like, I have no, no idea. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I think there's a lot to break down with that. So the first being... Uh, well, what can you do while you're in medical school? Because first and foremost, you should pass your courses, right? So that should yes. be your priority. A lot of it's quite often I have students that come prior to matriculating. They're like a week from PI. They're like, how can I join a lab and just do that day one nonstop? And pretty much the first 10 to 20 conversations I have and during that fall before they join or even as they're joining with PI is – I appreciate that you're very enthusiastic, but just hold on because you need to understand your bearings, like how well you're going to be able to perform in medical school. I get sometimes there's a bit of confidence. Everyone has come in as a high performer at some point, but it's a, as you know, it's a different game. Uh, so it's important to get that kind of uh, uh, comfort. And I I was fundamentals course director for up till this past year, and uh, I. I intentionally would do that in fundamentals and saying, uh, cool that you want to talk about this, but let's wait until after fundamentals. I would joke that it's because I'm busy, but it's really because I don't want anyone thinking about it at this stage uh, because you need to make sure you can do all right. Um, With that in mind, though, uh, it's still there's a there's a time uh, ticking with how much you can get done and up till it's not even at the end of the point you graduate. It's a point you submit your ERAS. So Mm -hmm. it's really only like two and a half years that you have to do that. Um, so I will give a plug and say that for our school, uh, we do have a required research course. Uh, we don't mandate it over the end. So essentially our required research course, we have opportunity at the end of the M1 um, t- uh, timeframe. So it's like over the summer from July, uh, end of June to July and August. And it's the, basically the first session you take as an M2. Um, it can be four weeks, but you have up to eight weeks to take it. Um, anyone that's not an NHUMD student listening to this is going to be like, whatever. But, uh, if there's any out there, uh, but there's yeah, some. there's some, okay. That's nice. To At know. least two. Um, two? Yeah. Nice. At least. Should, At uh, least. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, it, but it's, the reason for that, the reason we give that time is that for any project that you do, especially an original research paper in which I'll maybe go in a little more depth on that. Um, you need to have time to get it done because you can't just do that on the side not think about what the the specific goal of that project is not being able to really flesh out that project and all the pitfalls caveats with it unless you have at least honestly eight weeks and it's probably more than that just to get it started um i think some of the other pitfalls that students approach is they think that they can get a paper done in just that eight week time frame and that's not true and sometimes i think that's discouraging like i didn't get it done in eight weeks thus why bother Um, it's really supposed to be something you get to start it and you continue with it whenever you can based on your workload and keep doing it until you hit to that eras period the goal should be to try to get a paper or maybe more than that, uh, by the time that you get to about your end of your third year, Um, at least pushing that out so you can have something they say with the submission. Um, With that in mind though, um, there's steps to this. Um, And that's usually as a PhD, you get training with this. Uh, It's not just about the final paper. And I guess to talk about that, uh, ERAS has a few listings, right? And I might be wrong. I, I I don't remember offhand what they call them, But they have the original papers. Mm -hmm. Um, These really should be considered as hypothesis-driven papers. So they need to be that you came up with an idea, you applied experiments to them, you got a result, maybe you went back to it, but you had something novel that was discovered. Um, The other ones are going to be Probably falling into the other category, and this is ones that a lot of students will sink their teeth into because they're quick, are things like case studies or case case series is debatable, but mostly case studies. Um, And those are observational projects. Like, you don't, the patient just shows up and Mm -hmm. it has these weird phenomenon. You report it. You're not really doing anything. You might say you did some general practice there, but it's the end of one. It's not applying in a research manner. Case series, you could argue, may get to that, but even that can be sometimes arguable with the quality.
1: And they're probably the most common.
2: Very common. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those kind of projects are not bad, but they need to be appreciated for what they are, mm-hmm. which are narrow in scope. Maybe something that could go future towards clinical practice or if it's really weird, maybe it is a good example to apply towards your specific patient if they have exactly the same thing. But even then,
0: it's kind of dangerous. Yeah, you're just sharing an example that you saw. Yes. Yep. It's kind of cool. Which isn't uh, useless, but it's not uh in, like you said applicable to like most things and you i mean as
2: low-hanging fruit right? low-hanging fruit low-hanging fruit i mean the joke and they, they don't even publish these nowadays I, i've noticed that the surgery journals essentially just put them up as an interesting story of the month on their website but the the one that got inflated a lot especially in the 90s was like uh images of Stuff up people's butts, basically. You know? So <laughs> it was like, this Wait, is now, like, now we're talking. Well, yeah, okay. right. Okay. So it's like, how did they go about removing said item? Okay. Like, such, uh, I think there were like, uh, the TV shows like, made examples of it. Like, how do you remove a light bulb that went up someone's...
1: I follow a whole Instagram account that is just... They have What's <laughs> Up the Butt Friday. There it's we a radiology go. account. See?
2: Yeah. It used to be papers. Now it is a Instagram account. Yeah, that's, I love it. That's what you got. <laughs> like, so maybe think about it. I, anyone <laughs> listening to that, that's essentially what those are for it's still interesting. You can post it, but um, it's not really original papers. Um, there's also editorials. There's also review articles, perspectives, and we could go into each of those if you like. But moving back to the, the actual goal of this, it's to get you just an opportunity to come up with a research project and maybe get some publications out of it. Um, but along the way, y- you have to go through each of the process. You have to actually do the experiments. You have to actually collect some data with it. Hopefully you have a mentor that's able to also assist you in some way. Uh, and that will be different for each each person. And you just have to find someone that works well with whatever your needs are. If you're someone that has zero research experience, you want someone that's gonna be more hands-on. If, you have, if you've done it before, you've done a few lab experiences, maybe you don't need someone that needs like all the time there. You're able to do free creative ideas and they just need to be there to give you some feedback. Pick someone like that. You're not gonna really know until you talk with them um, if they're gonna work for you or not. And on that sense, you might not even know if you like them even have you, until you start it, and you're down that road. Um, and I, I often see that's where projects fizzle out. Mm-hmm. And I, what I've, i shifted, I didn't really do this for your group, but I, I've shifted a little bit for the following ones is recommending you have a dedicated research project you have to do for your, your graduation. But I also recommend seeking out like at least one other project. Like, um, especially of the summer, you have the time to do it um, and see which one works out. And maybe if they're both great and you have the time, focus on both of them like, in a small amount. But if not, go with the one that you like the most um, and go from there.
1: Question about this. Yeah. When I think of research, and this might be a very, um, you know, archaic way to think of it because I'm just a simpleton. Um, I think of it a few, a few ways. I think there are... Um, Clinical research, Mm -hmm. translational research, which is where you take things from the wet lab to the clinic, I'm assuming, sure, Um, which those are kind of harder to come by at our school probably. And then I think of epidemiological research, which I think as a med student is probably the most interesting research you can do um, because you can apply it to your patient populations. And then there's med ed research, Hmm. which is probably the best research. Um, Not biased at all. Not biased at all. No, not biased. But no, I I think that those are like, are those the main categories that, uh, and then and then case studies. Uh, So case studies
2: would probably fall into the clinical branch, but not like as an original like work. Um, But uh, you were, I think you were pretty much on the nose there. I I would say that translational probably blends with basic science because translational oftentimes can just still be bench science. Like we did a lot of translational projects in my my postdoc lab. But it was urine and blood, very easy to bring in the lab, very easy to do in a 96 well plate samples with that. So it's technically translational, um, but you're not it's not the glitz and glam of thinking I'm applying this drug in directly towards a patient. And that's not even translational. Translational is really just the broad idea that you can do this. Um, So clinical would be where you're actually doing like a true clinical trial. Okay. Um, and I think that's what most students think that they're going to get into is an actual clinical trial. I've not met, a, and I, I know there has to be ones out there, but I have not met many clinical trial researchers that want to take on a medical student. They really would prefer to hire somebody that's going to stay on for a while. So if anything, probably pre-med uh, aspiring medical students that have a job as a clinical research coordinator might actually have some opportunities to engage in that and there are definitely those situations but finding a clinical trial unless you're in a specific school that has just an abundance of it it's probably not so much the case what clinical really is going to be is probably just spreadsheets um and that you know it, it may be a little disappointing when you see that um it will probably be tons of patient data that's been previously collected and you will sort and hopefully find something cool maybe based on like what they are, are specifically interested in because hopefully they collect it based on that. But y- you are using an Excel spreadsheet essentially. Uh, and it, it will vary between projects, but that's a lot of it. Um, survey is sometimes comp- uh, uh, popular, but there's limitations to that. You have to get approval. You have to go through an IRB committee and something as sensitive as patient data can get a little iffy when you're trying to ask them specific questions that are personal because it, it's easy to reveal anything. So it's not impossible. It just takes time. And that's not something that all of you have the luxury of. So they don't tend to be the, the favorite projects. Epidemiology, as you said, is is a popular choice, um, mostly because it is kind of, da- it's just like, uh, you know, as epidemiology is, you're just looking at a mass amount of data from the population and you're kind of just extrapolating from it. Usually you're pulling from certain sort of Hive database or whatever, or you're focusing on a certain population for whatever, and it does blend into clinical a little bit depending on what they're utilizing. Uh, MedEd, I argue, is just epidemiology for medical students. Yeah, um,
0: so, <laughs> like, so that's great. Like, <laughs> it's nice.
2: Yeah, it's in a focused population and everything. And but and I, they're type
1: based kind of, so they fill out surveys usually.
2: Though yeah. so I would push the back and say that I would generally, I generally try to move away from a survey in general. Uh, one, we're a brand new medical school, so you all get surveyed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try to get away from that uh, just because I don't want to subject you to another survey. And it, you get fatigue from it. So yeah. I, I generally try to move away from that when I do these kind of projects. I look more at big, bigger data, like looking at uh, any trends of the school so far and applying them maybe to national trends. Whatever it might be, or uh, creating new topics or new activities, and seeing how maybe students uh, favor them, or how does it favor performance, or whatever it might be. Um, Mitch, whatever.
1: what did you do for research?
0: Well, that's funny you say. It. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you. Do you want to just do a quick rundown of what you and I did to give two examples yeah. of like, students' perspective on like what we actually did?
1: Tell me what you did. Like, when did you like? Okay, because we have different paths. Yep. When did you do your research block? What did you do for your research block?
0: So like Dr. Bachman was mentioning, I did the required research block over the first to second year summer. Um, again, that was my first project I would really ever been uh, a part of. I met a, a director of research at a local big teaching hospital that I met through my emergency medicine mentor at the time and basically just put me on the project is like what people say just like I was one of the people helping out with the project like I was very upfront. hey I've never really worked on a project before so I'll I'll help you out in whatever way I can but like I'm going to need to learn a lot of stuff Um, but my role was pretty limited it was just taking uh electronic medical record data and like pulling a bunch of information from it into an excel document like he was explaining (laughs) and uh it was it was good for me because like obviously that was just like lots of tedious uh you know computer work. But then I got to see the process of like revising the manuscript and like what went into writing the document and helping with revisions and submitting it and then getting revisions back. And so I got to help writing the discussion and just it was a really good introduction. Um, and then that project I went on to present a couple times over the course of a couple years. So it was something I got to stick with long term. So it was the one I was able to speak about the most Because people inevitably ask you about your research and interviews, and um, they they might ask you specifically what your role was on a project. And I was able to talk a little bit more about that and be honest. You know, this is my first project, but I did all this and I learned a lot. And it set me up to do later projects. Um, And then I worked on uh, three papers with uh, a different researcher at the same institution, I wrote most of like the discussion and the abstracts and and really helped a lot with those and then the last thing I did I had five total projects was work with a couple classmates in a medical education thing um we we talked about sms and medical education so like mm-hmm. those are my five things that I worked on over the course of like three years
1: sms is texting by the way it's yeah. not anything weird no sms
0: yeah. uh text messaging basically <laughs> yeah yeah. So, but from those five projects, I was able to make posters. I presented four posters. I'm just looking at my application, presented four posters and did three oral presentations um, off some of those projects and five publications total. I did another, um, one of the three projects I did was like, I wrote my own commentary. So that was really fun too. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it, it was a learning curve for me, but for somebody with no background, it was still very manageable. Um, and I was somewhere in the middle of doing no research and some people in our class and other classes that just really pump out research through their four years, almost uh, to a detriment, it can be.
1: We have classmates that have done, set like, I mean, we're talking in the double-digit, high double-digit,
0: our, yeah. our record holder is over 30, I know that. Oh my
1: goodness. As far as
0: publications. During got, med school, though. During med school. During med school. So, I guess we could talk about that if you like, too. Like,
2: what is it, why? do you do research well, as far as like the yeah. bigger thing? Um, I mean, that's a good question, right? I, I Historically, I don't think most that went to medical school would even bother with research unless they really want to go down that track. Um, I mostly at WashU interacted a lot with MD, PhD students and I can say that they're very different and like personality type than I think an MD student and I'm not just saying like, oh, like they're this point now. but they're very much more like a PhD or mindset, like a very like asking very nuanced questions, and you know, like a a, a toddler that keeps asking why until you lose your mind. It's, it's kind of like the versus it's just a <laughs> toddler, which yeah. is
0: the regular medical. St- yeah, just right. me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. But why? No, yeah. we referenced no. Uh, med students as toddlers in the last episode. Uh, Did I do that? Yeah, 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 were, yeah we I'm said, sorry. And I used the word toddlery. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I
2: loosely remember that. Yes, I love
1: um, you all, and I don't mean that.
2: But I mean it in the best way because they they ask very great questions and they were very focused on like that depth. Um, But even then, I noticed that uh, when they do the MD, PhD route, you kind of saw after they graduated, they would gravitate one way or the other. They would Mm -hmm. either be very heavily physician oriented or they would because they have to go through both, obviously, for uh, medical school. Um, But a lot would then gravitate towards the research end and pretty much just be doing research. I mean, they collect some patient samples here and there, but they weren't doing a lot beyond that. Um, And I'm sure there's people that would say otherwise, but that's generally what my observation was. Um, But for all of you, uh, because this is a growing phenomenon, this was my take with it, is that there are certain fields that are uh, moving towards a research driven uh, kind of concept. The the two I think a lot about are ophthalmology and dermatology and And I mean. And neurology too. And neurology, yeah. Yeah. Um, But there's a lot of AI going into those and it's great for the fields that are like using AI, is that the data? (laughs) Yeah, we're just
0: pulling up the chart. Sorry, I just dropped the iPad. Like shoveling
2: around this iPad with like a bar chart thing. (laughs) No, keep going, I'm sorry. (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, But like there are fields that are moving towards A.I. kind of handling the job of that physician the day to day. I'm not saying it's going to be, make them completely obsolete, uh, but a lot of what they might have done as a normalcy is kind of going away. It's either that a machine can kind of do it or maybe one of the staff or a nurse practitioner or someone like that could do it as well uh, to make it the bottom line, maybe cheaper for the patient. Um, so I always saw it as like to make sure your job stays relevant that your role as a physician in those fields is to elevate the field to the next step. So that is what research is, is finding what is next or applying it towards your field for the betterment of the field. Cause that's the only way it can grow and get better. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, while I always was a little concerned with seeing like data, cause those two fields in particular had tons of data about you need publications to successfully match. I kind of see why those would do that. Um, Now, I think where it gets toxic, uh, possibly toxic, is thinking that that should be applied to all fields or all positions in all those fields. Because I don't think every residency will need research. Do you
1: want to know which ones have the highest? Sure.
0: What's the data say?
1: The data says...
0: What are we referencing? Just so others can learn. Ah,
1: sorry. This is the NRMP charting outcomes data for 2020.
0: Okay.
1: And that just has all the... Um, information about those who matched and did not match okay. in the match uh, for all the specialties, and so it looks like neurological surgery comes in at the highest. Their mean number of research experiences, in, and Dr. Bachman remind us what's the mean again?
0: Mean the average? <laughs> you want the definition? <laughs> of mean? Um, I, There's the some expert, questions okay? that make you like
2: question your reality. Like, <laughs> do I know what mean is? Like, oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like
1: um, they have an average of six point one, uh, uh, research experiences. And
0: just to, like a, a reference point, but so publications
1: like publications is probably okay. So yeah. they have twenty three point four abstracts, presentations, and publications.
0: So I was looking at my ERS application. I I was saying I had like five total publications. I think I had around like four oral presentations and like three posters, something like that but I only had three research experiences because um, I, the way that I grouped them and the way that I think you're supposed to group them is like uh, one was with um, one PI, uh, the other three were with another PI, or, um, and then the, the last one was with It was kind of myself, but it was with a different PI, essentially. So Mm -hmm. those are just three experiences that led to a lot of different publications and opportunities. But when she's saying almost seven, was it seven-ish research experiences? Six,
1: yeah, 6.1. So that's a lot. With 23 abstracts presentations and publications six
0: unique experiences that are different from each other that's a lot in med school so
2: that's like i guess we could break that down because i don't know the specific breakdown and maybe you're gonna like pull the next chart that does the breakdown i don't know but first you touched on uh research experiences that's my perception as well is that it should be you it's uh research experiences is based on individual mentors that you had there might be exceptions where you might have a mentor that you worked in a a cell biology lab, but they also are a clinician. So you also did a clinical project with them. That would be different experiences because the idea is that they're shedding their knowledge or their experiences and you get a flavor for how they do research because everyone has a different style. Uh, So that's what it should be in my mind as well. But I don't know necessarily that all medical students understand that and that maybe they're seeing that as a one to one. And while some get it and Some won't and that might be why you see such a high number. It's because they're obviously wanting to present the best they can. Yeah, and, like, I put three
0: because I remember I I met with you at some point, and that was kind of your recommendation. I was like, hey, these are three similar projects with the same PI. Let's put them as one experience. So I was like, okay. But I could have easily, like, just ignored that advice, padded my stats in a way, and just had five research experiences, which, you know, it doesn't change what I actually did, but it looks like a higher number. Exactly. And and nothing was stopping me from doing that. Um, So I guess it is up to you, but...
2: Um, same you know. goes with the publications and the abstracts. So the uh, publications it, i would assume that's just an aggregate of everything.
1: It's yeah. It's yeah. abstracts, presentations, and publications. Oh all
2: together and one. All number. together
1: in one. So you could present a poster and have your abstract and do an oral yep. and then have that manuscript a manuscript published and that's a four. Yep. Right there. Um which I guess averages out, right? If you have six, six times four is 24, and it's 23. I mean, it makes sense. I'm assuming they're doing all of those things for yeah. each experience. Oh, yeah. I'm, l- I'm looking
0: at my application PDF right now, and it does group... Like you said, peer reviewed journal articles, slash abstracts, poster presentations, and oral publications, all under publications. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're
1: all under the same is thing. It's kind of weird
0: because it's not a publication. but.
1: Well, you, well, so, so that's important to clear up with people because when I started med school, I thought, oh, shoot, there's no way I'm going to get anything published in a journal. And I have not. Um, and how, how am I going to have not yet? Um, how am I going to do this? Because for me, the way I always approached research was like, I want to do this project for a long time. Hmm. It's what I did in undergrad. Like I, I, how could you reasonably go through med school and publish something? Oh my god, that seems so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, at least do it meaningfully. Because when I do something, I like to do it because I like it.
0: Yeah. Um, tell them about and, what you've been working on.
1: And that's hard. So I only. That's the, when I saw that it was broke down into abstracts, presentations, and publications. That's the umbrella of publications. That was it. Ended up being a much higher number for me. I think nine. Um, and working on one project. Um, and what was that? Oh, I did a medical education project with Dr. Bachman. I don't know if you know him.
0: Uh, I've heard of him. I, I Great not, guy.
1: But. If it wasn't for you, Dr. Bachman, my ERAS a section would be null. I would have some undergraduate member when I talked about that ACS mm-hmm. conference. That would be your
0: pride and joy going into residency.
1: About how I would t- put teeth in liquid nitrogen. Um, also, a calculator once, um, just to see what it would do. A true researcher. Mm, of course. Yeah. But I've been working on a medical education project with Dr. Bachman, um, and we, we actually use PBL in the interview process. Um, so it is fairly unique to our program. We are the only program that does it. If anybody's interviewed at our school or they're going to interview at our school, we have a PBL portion of our interview. And it's just for you to really get an idea of what the problem-based learning environment is like um, at NSUMD and we take that data because we give them a survey afterwards that we put through the IRB process. Uh, We give them a survey afterwards and we take that data and we see how they even like the process. They like it, um, but I'm not sure if they say they like it because they have to.
0: As if it could impact their (laughs) their (laughs)
1: admission. It's anonymous data, um, so we don't track who responds. But, I mean, everybody overwhelmingly likes it. And maybe they just like it.
0: Well, we did it. um, You know, we were the charter class, and we had a PBL interview uh, session yeah and when I thought dr through.
1: Bachman was an interviewee <laughs>
0: right <laughs> and, yeah. and I realized he wasn't yeah yeah. Yep. yeah but we did it and I truly did like it I thought it was fun it was definitely way lower stress than being one-on-one with an interviewer and mm-hmm. it, I mean it wasn't uh, the content of the case wasn't exactly similar to what we do on a day-to-day in our medical curriculum because you weren't a medical student yet um, right. but the format was the same and the feeling and experience was the same so I think it was good um just to see how you do in that environment if you like it um and just how it feels so
1: so dr boppin was kind enough to let me work with him on this project um and that helped us get uh You're the only one that wanted to
2: but no. that's not true <laughs> well Uma and you did yeah
1: like... umas she's the best uh, but we worked on it together we wrote new cases and um it sort of evolved into this big thing where we now hosted the interview Every week. I don't know what you're going to do without me when I graduate. If I graduate, um, it's, it's, it's become quite a fun project. I'm going to miss it. Um, And we've been able to present that at international conferences and national conferences and local conferences. And we... Yeah. I think it's important really, to point out, too. That's pretty much too, it. That's all I do.
0: When you go to residency interviews, like like I said, people will inevitably ask you about what research you've been involved in, if you have, which hopefully you've done something. And it doesn't matter if you've been on a few projects like me or one project like Sam. Sam can probably talk more passionately about her one project because she's been involved in it longitudinally and she's been heavily involved in it. And that's fine. Like, that, she will... That, I
1: love what I do. Yeah. I, I am sad to have to, you know... And if you can Hang express
0: that to an interviewer, they're going to be like, wow, this person really does care about this one project. And that means just as much or more than just doing a bunch of different things that you may have had a very small part in.
1: I mean, I think it. Yeah. When I when I when I did get asked about it on the interview trail uh, for the places that did ask it, it, they were very genuinely interested in it. Um, and, and it was something that we could talk about, which was great. And I, I think I was just meant to do this with you because um I didn't do research right after M1 year. Yeah, I had to no. study for my remediation exam. Um, and I was planning to do research. I had it set up to do research in the, the fancy research building here. I was going to do some cancer research and do some mass spectroscopy stuff. Oh,
0: okay. But mm-hmm. I
1: gave it up, to you know, because it's better to probably take your remediation exam than to do research. I idea, imagine yeah. you should focus first on that. Uh, we are med students after all. And then, um, then I had no idea what to do. And I just... Didn't really think about what else to do. I focused on school because that's my primary objective, right? Um, but then, when you had the idea and you were kind enough to involve me, and I just it was. I think you knew that it would be something that I would be good at. At least I hope I did. That's what I like to think. Um, and and I, I it's been a project that I enjoy. I'm actually very. I find myself very controlling over who gets to take it over <laughs> next. Um, but and I'm just gonna be curious about how it evolves if it evolves. I, so.
0: something you said kind of tipped me off to this when you're a med student and you're trying to figure out how much research should i do what project should i get involved with just be cognizant of where you're at in school mm-hmm. and if you can handle it yep mm-hmm. because i found i mean i did handle it but i find myself getting a little dicey being involved with a few projects in the middle of third year uh coming up on step two and, <laughs> and being pretty overwhelmed at a certain point with the amount of free time i had to study for my shelves and prepare for step two and knowing that, hey, I have to get out of these projects or wind them way down before Dedicated gets here. And some people did uh, projects like, we're working on research actively through Dedicated. And I just don't think in general, that's a great idea because at the end of the day, like your board exams do matter more than research, at least as far as like, when you look at the program director surveys and things, and I'm not saying don't prioritize research, but if it's going to impact your, especially your, your passing courses or doing well on board exams, I think you really need to re- re- reevaluate is mm-hmm. all I'm trying to say.
1: We're med students first. I mean, there's a reason why we're not in Ph.D. school. That's for, that's for Doc doc. Yeah. And it, if
0: you <laughs> want to be a research heavy med student, like more power to you, like go for it. But just keep your priorities straight and make sure you're not taking on more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. And it,
2: I think it's still quality over quantity. Uh, for a lot of this, because uh, I, you know, you're right. Third year, you're going to get a lot of more opportunities to do like case studies and maybe editorials or review articles, and those are fine. They will help, um, but you know, what's the difference? At least in my mind, I'm not a pro- uh, program director. What was the difference between having ten or five? case studies uh, when they're deciding you or is it really that if you didn't have 10 case studies that they're going to say no to you is that really the the thing there's a minimal
0: difference yeah i
2: think
1: so as well and i think it you can this is advice for everybody who's listening to this or will be listening to this in the future who's approaching their third year because you might get this advice but if you want you can be that student who shows up on day one and goes if you're doing any research i'd love to get involved with you um (laughs) You know, some it, do, some, some do, and it's fine. But that's just take that. You know, you can be that. You can be that person.
0: And I think <laughs> that you should really use at minimum the first half of M one year to get your feet wet and mm-hmm. to get your just bearings and uh, become a good medical student. And then start like exploring research because you still have the summer ahead of you after the first half of M one year. Uh, and then you have all of them two year. Like you have a lot of time and you have in three year, it's a lot of time to get on some projects and do some good work. So right when you come in is not the prime time. And I think we've kind of touched on that.
2: And there's a, a secondary thing that I think doesn't always get appreciated, and is that it's not just the research, it's also the fact that you're working with someone like one-on-one much more than you would just if you're in a rotation or wherever. Uh, And if you're with a clinical uh, researcher and a field you wanna go into, that is a potential letter of recommendation, assuming it goes well and they like you, uh, that you wouldn't probably not have gotten otherwise. So, you know, there's still that. For the M1 students over the summer, there's a lot of uh, scholarships from these nice Ivy League schools that do these eight-week neat and bow uh, research experiences. I really encourage all students to apply. Anyone listening only from our school, everyone else, you don't have to, uh, but from our <laughs> school, please apply. Um, but uh, because they're great experiences and they pair you intentionally with someone, at least at the time that you're an M1, of what you'd like to do. Um, like one we have a, a lot of students go to every year is the M Star program. It's focused on aging. It really fits well with us in South Florida because we have a higher aging population than where's most that states. at? M-Star? MSTAR is all over, so there's oh, ones in Boston, okay. there's one in North Carolina, UCLA, UCSD. Um, uh, was it in New York? NYU has one like so. It's a grant that NIH uh sponsors, and there's these schools that apply for it as long as they can show that they can provide this dedicated experience. There are certain expectations that they have to do. Then they get to do it. Um, since COVID, a lot of them have been pretty good about these projects being pretty much asynchronous. They're still going there, but like they can be done at virtually as well. Okay. Um, and it's just a great uh, experience. Plus, they, like I said, they're networking while they're doing it. In the best situation, hopefully they're networking. Um, and that's the same idea with going to conferences. Yes, it's great. You have an abstract. You have the abstract uh, whether you're just there mentally checked out or not. But if you go there and actually communicate with people theoretically in the field you want to go into, it, it's so much more beneficial than anything else. And if you like your project and you are, show some spark that you enjoy this, they can see that kind of correlation to this is how they'll be if we accept them into our program. Um, it's all the unconscious things that are un, you know, don't necessarily go on paper, but they definitely help in the long run.
1: What do you think about, I mean, for M1s that are just about to start here or current M1s, uh, even M2s, uh, are all future students here. I mean, now you're getting into this is becoming a more established school. Um, What do you think about upperclassmen or your fellow students being a good resource for research? You know, maybe they have a project they want that someone needs to take over and expand upon. Is that an option too, or are we not quite at that level?
2: It's always an option. So you touched on a a thing that was a rather challenging early on, uh, probably starting after your year, especially when we had that shutdown where a lot of people were kind of doing research projects because they had time, Mm because we we weren't going to the clinic right away, um, where, okay, we have research projects, we need faculty to help with that, but there's only so much bandwidth that faculty can provide. So you have all these students jumping on projects, a new class joins. Well, you didn't just give up your project, theoretically, unless you hated it or something. But you're still on your project. You're working on it. So you don't want to give that up. Um, and they need new projects. So it, it gets difficult every year up to a point because now you all are graduating. My phone is telling me it's 2 o'clock. Ah. I can't even turn it off now. So. <laughs> it's Okay. <laughs> Maybe you'll edit that out. I don't know. (laughs) No, we're going to leave it. Leave it in? Yeah. That's fine. Loopers. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, So all of you are graduating. You will like you had just talked about, probably going to be able to give up or going to give up at least some of your project. You're still on the project because you put the work in. So you'll be on the paper whenever it comes out. Um, But that's something that can be passed on. It's usually the role of the mentor, but it certainly helps if the student that was on that project wants to transition it out to help. Because all of everyone moving on if you are going to do research projects you're leveling up each time so you need to be comfortable mentoring individuals as well and knowing that like at some point you won't be the first author on these that you need to let that medical student be that first author right um pay it forward even if maybe that no one was paying it forward to you i hopefully they were but if they uh that should be how the process goes is the the junior one as long as they're doing the work they're writing that paper. They're doing the experiments. They should be that first author. And you should gradually move towards that senior mentor,
0: big picture person. The last author spot. The last author spot. The, spot. the prestigious senior author spot. That's
1: yes. the spot. That's the spot that Dr. Bachman has on all my projects.
0: <laughs> when you see a bunch of medical students and then there's one person at the end with, like, MD or PhD. And you're like, yeah. they're the one really running the show.
1: That's the boss. That's the jefe.
2: Traditionally, they're the ones that just, like, fund everything. Yeah. Because they apply for the grants. and they, But meta projects don't really have funding. But that's... I know we're
1: going to have to wrap up soon because it is two o'clock and someone else, I think, has this room booked.
0: All right. right. But
1: last couple of things I think we should talk about. I want to talk about the RISE conference because I think it's very important. One, because you created it. Two, because it's our own conference. And three, it's (laughs) a good opportunity to get some publications.
2: It is, yeah. I mean, publications in terms of presenting an abstract. Yeah, confer- yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Presenting your abstract, sorry. Oh, uh,
2: the concept of, like, calling that a publication just ruffles Let's my feathers. That's called a presentation. Know, yeah, know, That's not triggering anyone I know. that's what uh, it's the ERAS shame. does. It's weird. Um,
1: yeah, I have nine.
2: <laughs> good. I, it's nice that they, they word it that way, I guess. I, yeah, I, guess. I um, You're an ERAS published author. Sorry. It's all right. Um,
1: I'm working on the paper. I know I'm slow.
2: It's, it's but all we're good. getting it out. It's fine. We're it's getting good. it out. Quality. So, rise. Yes, quality. RISE Conference, uh, the intent with that, most schools have something like this. I it was part of helping with one at WashU before. Um, it's meant to be a sandbox activity for U.S. students. Um, as you had said, you had not had research before. Most don't, and most have not presented at abstracts at a conference or made an abstract or appreciate that, yes, 250 words is typically how much they expect from an abstract. I usually hear from students, uh, can I add a couple more words for the project? And I'm like, no, you can't. No. It's meant to just get all those questions out before you go to the real game. Because it you will get disqualified from any conference if you write 255 words, if it was 250. Most are good about like not even letting you submit unless it's the right word limit. Uh, it didn't always used to be like that. Uh, but yeah, it, so... You have to get comfortable with that, comfortable with presenting, knowing how to put together a poster. We haven't had an in-person one for two years. But even idiosyncrasies like – and we're going to get kicked out soon. Idiosyncrasies like uh, – I was just checking to make sure there's nobody at the door. When you, when you print a poster, you might make it on PowerPoint, and it's like to the edges because you're trying to fit as much as possible. It will get cut off. And I've had it happen before where you print it off, and it gets cut off, and then the library in person is really mad at you because uh, you – made now she has to print your thing again after you edit it right. and it's a waste of it so it's all those little um work things and it kind of bleeds to the bigger thing too where i work i i deliver research sessions for all of you longitudinally as a thread director for research um, and the goal I initially did was just I want to teach you research things and what I knew and what I learned and I think I even had all of you do like a mock grant which I think you all hated but that was
0: intense. I remember that. Do you remember yeah, that?
1: Yeah, the mock grant. I didn't yeah. hate
0: it. I don't and remember it. it. I
1: loved it. And then you also had us. Yeah, you, your threads are good. And then you oh, also had you. us do the um, shoot. What's the site? The site. The site thing that you had us do. The site. The site manager. Citation manager. <laughs> citation manager.
2: Citation. Oh, you mean endnote?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> learn how to use that. Yes. Yeah, uh, we
1: learned how to use endnote. Well, yeah, I went to my P's rotation. There was a resident who didn't know what an annotated bibliography is. But saves you so much time. But if you I know, know how to use endnote.
2: Um, um, but yeah, I I thought uh, some of what I did, I think, was like probably overboard with enthusiasm with it. I was like, oh, you could like, learn how to write a. You probably won't have to worry about that all that much. But what I shifted more towards was what are that you can have in your career that would be beneficial. Like EndNote was a class I did. I did one session on EndNote just so you knew how to use that because you probably had not used it before and I'm not necessarily expecting you to. I mean I, you know when you come in to do these the first time, you just assume like things that you do so much so you often, and you're like, surely everyone knows about this because it's common sense to you. It's not necessarily to others. And it's the same with like making a poster or making an abstract. Uh, that is an end assignment for the research course. Because I want you to actually do it and, and get that experience and understand that this is the process. Um, so yeah, all, all the intention with them is that hopefully these are tools that you can apply and be a better, at least at applying research in your career. Not necessarily that you are a researcher, but that you're somebody that is good at understanding how to go about a hypothesis-driven activity. Um,
0: Evidence-based medicine—that's the buzzword, right? Hopefully, someone that can answer the original question of what is research. At least you'll know.
1: Yeah, just I think just having a starting point, just knowing like, oh, okay, this is how I ask a question. This is how I try Mm. to answer that question. This is this is my bias that might be inherent. These are things that you know. This is how I should collect data. This is how I should ask these certain questions. And I think that's all important. If we just walk away knowing those things, knowing how to go about those things, I think that's easy. We don't have to discover the cure for cancer. Um, but and
2: It's appreciation, too, that, like, as much as you hope everyone's publishing good quality stuff, there's a lot of garbage out there. Uh, especially COVID. I don't know if you've seen like, there's like interesting data showing like, not data, but literally just counting the number of publications with COVID. It's the single largest uh, topic that's ever been published on in the history of publications ever. And it's within the two year timeframe that this has happened.
0: Is it, is it just because it's such a hot topic? And like, if you do happen to find something that blows up, you're just going to get a lot of uh, yep. clout, as you said earlier.
2: Uh, you will get clout. Yeah. So it is a publisher perish model. It is also, if you're the first to find this, it's going to be really cool. It's novel. So, publish you right. get mm-hmm. COVID, was an interesting example of it. But before that, there was always flavors of the year yeah. it would be uh, Zika or um, what Ebola. Infectious um, disease
0: is probably a hot topic in general.
2: It, there's always new things, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but even things easy. like in uh, therapeutics, like uh, uh, when I was coming through grad school, mrna was like being talked about as the way to cure cancer. Which now is just like it's just mRNA. Why why did everyone freak out about that? What's mRNA? MicroRNA? RNA. Well, I don't know what that is. It's like is. SRNA. I'm, just kidding. But no, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm oh, kidding. It's like my, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a little more. Yeah. Okay. I think they
1: make a vaccine out of it, right? Yeah. 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 Well, mm-hmm. that's
2: mRNA vaccine. Not uh, mirna Oh, you're
1: to be mrna
2: wait m r i n a. I'm What? Anyway, yeah. (laughs)
1: This is a good – wait, this is a good point to end this because I think we're going to get kicked out. But Dr. Bachman, what's your best piece of advice for anybody who's trying to get into – two things. Trying to get into med school, what sort of research would you want? Because also Dr. Bachman does a lot of admission stuff, so –
2: off the record, but, yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: well, I mean, you're on the admissions. Yeah, I'm on the you admissions. You do admissions things, yeah. right? Oh, wait, is that not supposed to be known? No, it's, it's Should fine. Should I delete it's, that? You, it's okay. I'm you're, not you're, going you, to. It's it's yeah, I didn't okay. think so, but um, unclassified. So, best piece of advice for pre-meds or aspiring med students, and then also best piece of advice for med students.
2: For research, I guess. For like, research,
1: um, yeah. And life, too. And Whatever life, Whatever you okay. want.
2: All right. Um, for pre-med, uh, I mean, Do a project that you can speak highly of and that they that you understand, because it's going to show when you put into that submission that you did something on that. And be descriptive on what you did, uh, because if it's only like otherwise, I'm going to assume you wash dishes. Uh, So explain what you did in that. And if you only wash dishes, then say you observed or whatever. Just, you know, I'm not saying you have to admit that you wash dishes, but, you know.
0: Yeah, I've seen seen where they like write, uh, you know, was involved in a project and then they make the description of the project is so incredibly detailed with like protein names and stuff. And it's they're not talking about what they did. It just makes it sound really fancy. Yeah. And that's just. And it's also not the
2: end all for like uh, as far as admissions go. It's not a requirement that you've done research and a lot of medical school students don't have it coming in. And that's all right. Yeah, right there. Yeah. I mean, it's just right have it. Um, and that is that is okay. I mean, unless you're going to a school that says we are like, we only do this, we expect this. Like, if you're doing an MD, PhD, you probably need to have some of background course, in that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, no, you don't really need that. So, if it's something that is really makes you interested and happy, then do that and put that on there. Otherwise, focus more on service or focus more on something else that makes you shine as an individual, but doesn't seem fake, I guess. It doesn't look like you just checked a box because I did need to do research. Um, for the medical student, uh, fi- similar. find something you enjoy to do uh, and continue doing that. Stick with it. They're going I'm pretty sure anyone that really cares about research, which I'm not saying every, applica- every program director cares, cares about it in the most genuine way, but I'd like to think they do, but maybe not. Um, it's do something that speaks well. Like, uh, if you if get asked about it in an interview, if you aren't able to go all in on the ins and outs of that and really glow about whatever the topic is, they're going to see through that it's, it becomes very obvious. And I'm not saying you have to like enjoy every project, but try to find the project that you like. Um, and don't kill yourself with doing 300 papers or 300, what, you know, 30 or whatever the number is it. I don't. Really think it's gonna matter in the end. Like uh, whatever it is that you want to do, if that's what you want to do, you'll know, keep at it. And if you feel like, because uh, I, 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 as a closing thing too, if you really want to be an ophthalmologist, for example, you do need to have ophthalmology publications. Like a lot of these like different topics, uh, fields, and residencies, they don't really care what you do as long as you do research for those points, like to check that box. Uh, but there are ones like ophthalmology that really want that. And it's not like 10 papers, it's like one paper. And like a first author would be a deal for increased odds. If you don't have that and you really want that, consider taking a year off for research because that will give you that time. A lot of schools that have ophthalmology programs offer year experiences that are, and they give you projects that are practical to get a publication within that timeframe. And you're probably working with people that know residency directors, Um, do that. I talk with so many students. that I give that advice to when they say they want to go into those fields, and they're just kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I'm not gonna do that." Do you have to
1: pay a year of tuition to do that?
2: No, you, you take a year off. Okay. And actually, okay. you'll probably get paid. Like, okay. Like uh, especially if you do a T32 training grant, uh, which is through the NIH, it's tax free. So you'll get like tax free t- uh, salary. Okay. And like you take a year off though, you come back afterwards, and it's fine. Uh, You always want to do it right after your step two exam. Like you're done with your clerkship. You're at your prime. You take your step two. You got your number. Cool. It is competitive for whatever you want to do. Take that year off and then come back and do your year four. Never. Graduate and then do research because then you're just in limbo. And so, it's yeah. finish
0: year three, take step two, then take your year off, come back, yep. and then you just have fourth year and applications. Exactly. You want that
1: US senior designation on your ERAS. Yes. You do not want the US grad designation on your ERAS because then it's like, did this person match or not? Are they reapplying? Too many so, questions. And too too it's, many questions. It's better to
2: go through at the end of your third year. Um, with that said, you have to apply in December of your third year. So you can't just wait till July and say, hey, I think I want to take a year off and apply for one of these programs. You can still take a year off, but you're probably going to, well, hopefully someone will hire you or you're going to be doing it out of your pocket. But if you want to do something that's completely paid and they pay you, those scholarships that you would apply for usually are open in december and close in february so
1: you should know fairly early if you're going to want to get into ophthalmology yes. maybe dermatology
2: cardiothoracic surgery neurosurgery <laughs> even if you're thinking that way and you're like i don't know i want to I, maybe my steps not going to be great enough I, I whatever it might be you can still apply to those things yeah a yep. lot of people get to the end of those and then say hey actually i've decided to stay i'm not going to do this they will go down the list and give it to someone else cuz there's always going to be someone that wants to do that. Okay. And on, so.
0: Just a little caveat too is like we're talking about optho neuro like really ner- like neurosurgery really specialized things. If yeah. you are going to if you're pretty sure you're going to apply to internal medicine, emergency medicine, family med, gen those, surge. Yeah, yeah, more generalist type things. OBGYN, like AIDS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did my research in emergency like just covering the things, emergency medicine, the physician workforce, like a couple things on that and um like trauma surgery and I did internal medicine and I want to do cardiology and it didn't hold me back. So don't feel like, yeah. oh, I can't do this project because it's not uh, you know, peds related. Well, just go oh, do yeah, it. yeah,
1: they won't care about that. It's better I to have something residency. than nothing and yeah. y-
0: you can Absolutely. always explain like you don't have to explain like, oh, why did you do emergency medicine paper when you're an internal medicine applicant? They're not going to ask you that or they shouldn't. Yeah.
2: And actually the Key, if you want to work in, like, a, a prestigious institution and you're having trouble getting in, like, oh, I want to work in this dermatology department, but everyone is also does, is reach out to the pathologist because the pathologist has all the data. And they have, like, tons of it to go around. So they can take on more students than any individual clinician can. Uh, and, I, I mean, every place I've been, the, the pathologist in the research institution is the – god of the research like for clinical so if you know that person uh the the trick i've told others is like hey you see that dermatology group that you want to be in see who on that paper is a dermat the the pathologist reach out to that person don't reach out to the Mm -hmm. senior author for the that's a dermatologist because they'll probably be like hey we already have like so many people at our institution it's not going to happen but that person probably has projects that might be skin related and you know, okay. or yeah so it's a,
0: it's a paper that's pathology in nature, but it's related to X, Y, Z.
1: It says oh, okay. skin on the
2: paper. That's what they're looking at. That's yeah. a
1: good Bachman nugget, right there. Yeah,
0: that's Bachmann a really nugget. good takeaway.
2: Okay. Yeah,
1: we should uh, we should create the Bachman nugget. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Bachman uh, nugget. But yeah, I, I I think you're right though. Uh, you can do whatever for most of those fields, and with whatever kind of topic you're doing. As long, again, it's the fact that you enjoy it and that. You can. they can see that you enjoy it. What they're looking for is, are you someone that can do uh, critical thinking towards a research problem and come up with an answer? Because that's the skill that they want to see when you're applying evidence-based care right. in the hospital. Critical thinking skills, that's what it comes down to. For
1: example, I'm applying am. I don't have any research projects about sodium. Um, it's just a medical education in. And- that's I fine. got interviews, so it's fine. And then
2: the medical <laughs> education thing. is like Medical education, you're interested in the next generation. Yes. If you're going to be in a residency program that has medical students there, it means that you probably are a great candidate for interacting with those students, and they really want that because they don't want to do that. Yeah, no. I'm fully
1: committed. I'm going into med ed. I'm going to work in a med school. I'm going to be just like Dr. Bachman.
0: That's beautiful. You could yeah. work here
2: if you want in the future. You have to apply, but you know, I'm not guaranteeing a job or anything
1: we'll see about that and on that note no no no, i love this school i obviously i'm doing a a podcast you know in the name of this school so um one
0: thing i wanted to just before we leave just because it came up like i've done some of the interview panels for like the the incoming students and this question has come up and it's also come up with the m1s and m2s i've just talked to multiple times the question is basically is research more important now since step one's gone past fail and yeah the, the answer I gave them, and that you guys can tell me if you agree or not, is it's not like it became more important. It's just now you've removed one objective measure that program directors have. So, like, the proportion of everything else changes and goes up a little bit. So, it's, sure, is it, like, more important because there's one less objective measure? I guess so, because that's now another objective measure. But it's not like you're going to go do more research now in lieu of that fact that it's pass-fail. So, it doesn't really yeah. matter, is my opinion. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Not that research doesn't matter, no, but the change yeah. doesn't affect yeah, the conclusion. Yeah, you don't
2: have to
1: kill yourself to go find some random case report.
2: And I would worry with the perception of that because, like, I don't think, like you said, you can only do so much research while you're here. Uh, what I worry about is the quality of that research that's right. going to come out. So don't be tempted, uh, you as a aspiring medical student or current medical student, to do something like that just be like oh well they're they said they can get me like a ton of publications if i just like continuously pump out stuff or writing or whatever don't fall for that because that's it's just a very slippery slope it's not a good idea to go anything like that it just sounds
1: it's also your name too right if you're in something that hasn't gone through the rigors of traditional you know Uh you know review then that's not good you know, you, you want to go through the, the the review process. You want it to be strict, and, and it's, that's part of the fun,
2: too.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, on that note, I think it might be time to wrap it up. Dr. Bachman, thank you. Hey, Dr. Thank you Bachman,
1: thank you. It was really Never a so.
0: pleasure talking to you, getting to know you more, and f- thank you for shining a light on the nebulous, often nebulous topic of research.
2: Hey, it's, it's fun. Can uh, I ask
0: you how you feel about the pronunciation when people call it research? 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 <laughs> research. I
2: honestly, I've never responded. I've never had that question. I've never thought about but it. But you've uh, heard
0: people say research, right?
2: I've heard it. I, I've just never processed that. So I was kind of like, yeah, well, <laughs> whatever. sleep on it. Let research. me know. I'll think about it. Wait,
1: also, we have to say, Dr. Bogman, this podcast, your idea. <laughs>
2: Oh thank yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean I did here absolutely nothing besides. Hey, do you want to do a podcast? And yeah, you but you are
0: one of the charter class members of yeah. the Sink or Swim podcast.
2: Ah, yes, I, I appreciate yes. You
1: are that. the overlord of Sink or Swim.
2: And I hopefully this. I don't know how well this sells. Let me know how many like hits you get uh, from this. But I'd be happy to talk about other topics like admissions, or if oh, you Oh, wa-
1: we would love to do an admissions topic.
2: Or if you so are bold, you want to talk about the first year of medical school and all the. We would I love to talk. We got
1: to get some more M ones in here. People who have done it from there, from the Routy. you know, new yeah. and improved.
0: Yeah, and I think each episode we're getting a little better, just understanding how to run the thing. <laughs> the first time we were winging it for sure. Yeah, the for second sure, time it. I think, we used one mic. Yeah, we used one mic the first <laughs> yeah. episode because we now we, we could, have three. Yeah, we're learning as we go. Now we have three mics going. Uh, we got ideas for the future. We can handle up to four mics. We've discovered. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's gonna a big be, deal around here. Yeah, we're pretty big. Yeah. So it's been fun, but thank you for thank coming. You. Thank you for listening if you've made it thus far. And uh until next time, thank you for listening to the Sink or Swim Podcast. And hopefully,
1: just one last thing. Mm-hmm. This served as the great redeemer for Dr. Bachman, and now people know he's not so misunderstood. He's just a normal guy like you and me.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a great <laughs> we guy. Like him. And thank we're gonna you. have him Thank you that, for though.
1: making my ERAS application. What you know, it is. <laughs> Acceptable.
0: <laughs> Thank you, everybody.
1: All right. Bye. <laughs> Wait, no playout music? Oh, yeah, play out oh. music, please. Well, I thought you were gonna do it this time. Uh, you're the playout music, oh. play out music. It's our podcast. Da-na-na-na-na. Are you gonna sink? No, you're gonna swim. No, you're gonna swim.
0: I thought those were pre recorded. I didn't realize.